All right, in this week's Torah portion, there's a very unusual law, and it's called the law of the Irhanadachas, the law of a city which is guilty of idol worship. It's a very unusual law. The Talmud says this law has never happened and never will happen. It's something which teaches us Torah, but it's not a practical thing. Um, and this law, what it teaches us, um, I'm going to learn something today that's amazing about it, but it, uh, it's, it's, it's really super rational. A lot of it is totally super rational and counterintuitive. And, um, and so we're, going to, we're not going to talk, we're going to have more questions today than answers, but hopefully we'll learn something in our lives from this. So laws like this. If everyone is guilty of idolatry, so the Torah says the whole city is destroyed. Not only those who are guilty of idolatry, the, the majority of the city is guilty of idolatry, not only is, are they killed, but also the whole city is destroyed, the property is destroyed, and so too uh, the wives and children of those who are guilty are also killed with them. And um, there are many um, explanations given about this and how it works. We're not going to, again, we're not going to understand everything today, but let's try to uh, understand something. So, Maimonides says about this law, like this, he says that if the people of the city who were guilty of doing idolatry repent, they do tshuva, and they, they regret their ways, their tshuva helps, and the city is spared. That's what Maimonides says. But the commentaries on Maimonides take issue with this, like, why? We don't find that uh, if someone is, gets the death penalty in a Jewish court, we don't find that if he, he um, repents, he is then uh, exempt from his punishment. So why are the members of the city, just because they do teshuvah, just because they repented, why should they be exempt from punishment? That's the Ravid's question. So the Kesef Mishnah, he's, he he puts forth the following explanation. He says, I'll tell you the difference why um, uh, the people of the city have a different kind of um, status, why their tshuva works. He says, ordinarily, in order for the Jewish courts to um, give um, punishment to someone, the Jewish court has to warn the person individually about the sin. In this scenario, this city is given the warning, not everyone individually. They're given the warning collectively. And because they're given the warning collectively, so it's not a regular kind of warning, and therefore not a regular kind of punishment, and also therefore not a regular kind of, um, of rectification for this punishment. Um, and therefore tshuva, therefore repentance does work. That's what the Kesev Mishnah says. But um, the questions asked on the, about the Kesev Mishnah, we find other s- scenarios where the Torah does obligate consequence even without a proper warning. Like, for example, the law of someone who seduces another person to do idolatry. He also is, um, or, or someone who, who is blasphemous in God's name. He also is punished, with the, although there was no warning. So we cannot say that the reason why tshuva, why their, why their regret is um, impactful, is because they weren't properly warned. We find in other scenarios where a proper warning is issued, uh, where, where proper warning isn't necessary, and yet uh, the this, this same law applies. So why is it 
that in this scenario, um, their teshuva, they could do teshuva, and they could be then um, exempt of, of punishment. So, the Ragachavar Goen, he um, has another explanation he gives to the Rambam. His explanation is like this. He says that um, when the Rambam says that if they do tshuva, they are forgiven, the tshuva is impactful, it doesn't really mean that they're exempt from all punishment. What it means is, is that the city loses its status as an irinadachas, as a city of idol worship, and then people are given the, the consequences, consequences as individuals. Instead of looking at them as part of the city, giving them the punishment of the city, instead, if they do tshuva, they're given the law as individuals. That's where the tshuva, that's how the tshuva helps. And he, and he brings proof of this from the law. His Ramam source is from the law of the city of stone. City of stone, we find that uh, Hashem was looking for uh, who anyone who had um, any tzaddikim in the city, etc. So that's why, we, that's why it's possible um, to... Um, uh, it, it, it's not that, that tshuva helps, it's the, it's some, the unique law of Irinadachas, where the whole city is destroyed and the property is burnt. And uh, all the, the unique ramifications of the punishment of the city, that's what's affected by tshuva. Indeed, tshuva cannot affect the punishment or that's given to an individual. Individual does, makes a, does a sin, his tshuva will not rectify his sin. And he will, he will rectify his sin, but they have the court on earth will still have to administer punishment. What's unique over here, says the Raghachava, is that the tshuva is affected vis-a-vis the classification of the city, the city of idol worship. The city doesn't, stops being a city of idol worship because of their tshuva. The unique status that the Torah imposes on the city because the whole city did idol worship, that's what is, is changed. But the Rebbe has a few questions about this. Um, first of all, the Raghachava is using... It's seemingly a uh, inadmissible proof. The Ragachavar is drawing on a law of so the city of Sodom. The city of Sodom was the, before the Torah was given. You can't bring a proof from the city of Sodom. That's, that's that was something before the Torah was given. There's another thing that we learn from the city of Sodom. Um, it says about Lot, that Lot, who was righteous, he was exempt, um, I'm sorry, his... Um, his property was destroyed as with the city. Why was the property destroyed with the city? Um, we, this, so the Sefti Yerushalmi says, we learned this from the city of Stone. We, we learned the law of a city of idol worship, that all the property, the people in the city, even the righteous people, as Ramadani says, their property also gets destroyed. How do we know their property gets destroyed too? We learned this from Lot, he was righteous, and despite the fact that he was righteous, his property was destroyed. But again, how can we learn from the, before the Torah was given? This is something that um, is, we're discussing the, a law of the Torah. The, the event of the city of Sodom was before the Torah was given. That's not relevant to the laws of the Torah. So to answer this, um, I've asked another question about this. The question is this. If um, a city is guilty of idol worship, so the law is that everyone uh, who is participated in idol worship is given a unique punishment. They're all killed by the sword. If, however, people are guilty of idol worship as an individual, 
they are punishable by stoning. So the punishment for idolatry in general is, punish, is stoning. However, the, um, if the whole city does this together, then the whole city becomes a city of idol worship. The punishment is being killed by the sword. What's worse, killed by the sword or stoning? So according to Jewish law, the punishment of stoning is considered a more severe punishment than the punishment of death by the sword. So it comes out like this, something peculiar. If half the city, 50% of the city, is guilty of idol worship, it's not the majority yet. So then what's the law? They all get punished by, by stoning. Then all of a sudden, one guy joins, and says, oh, let me join, do this too. Then all of a sudden, everyone's exempt from the more severe punishment of stoning, and they're given the more lighter punishment of death by the sword. And in general, the rule is, if someone's guilty of two sins, of two, and, which, and both sins have different levels, different degrees of punishment, both two, two kinds of death penalty, one worse than the other, the general law is that you give the person the worser, the more severe death penalty. So if the people of the city are guilty of death by the sword because of their, their individual sin of idolatry, and their de- death by stone because of their being part of the city, sorry, death by stone because of their individual guilt, and death by stone because of their collective guilt. So the rule is you're supposed to give the, the more uh, severe punishment. Someone has, has done two, two sins and one is more severe than the other. You're supposed to give them the more severe punishment. So how come over here we give the lighter punishment and we say that they only get the sin, uh, they only get the punishment of death by the sword. And more peculiar, this moment the person, uh, the moment the majority is reached, Everyone is absolved of the greater punishment and they're all given a lighter, a lighter one. So the answer is this. The unique law of the Irnadachas, of this city of idol worship, is that this, we stop looking at these people as individuals and we look at them as a community, a community of idol worship. So it's not that their sin has become absolved. It's more that there is now a new classification of people of the city. They are now in the category of a community. They, they stop being individuals and they have now are part of a community. It's not their previous, um, their previous classification as, as an individual um, has one kind of response, one kind of consequence, but now they are not individuals anymore. They are now, in a new, they are now classified as a new entity. Well, let's say this deeper. It's not just that they have new classifications as, as, as people of a city, as a community, but more, um, the Torah's instruction to destroy the people of the city is not a punishment. The Torah's instruction to destroy the people of the city is about destroying a city of idolatry. It's a, it's a let's say it's, it's, it's more of a, uh, it's a positive action, destroy the city. Not so positive, but yeah. It's not about punishing individuals in the city, it's more about destroying the city. And that explains why the women and children are also destroyed. Why are they destroyed? It's, it's the, the big little O's, he says they're destroyed, they're killed, because it's a punishment to their husbands. But that doesn't explain anything, it would seem, because how can you punish them as individuals if, they're, if, they're not, if they are themselves are not guilty? And the answer is, is that they stop having, from the Torah's perspective, 
So again, it's not going to make a difference to our Western ears to understand it better. But let's try to understand this from the Torah's perspective. That because they are now part of the city of idol worship, because they, they are classified now as um, a city of idol worship, therefore the Torah says destroy the city of idol worship. Not um, destroy the property of the righteous people in the city as well. Why destroy the, the property of the righteous people? It's not because of the sin of the righteous people. They have not anything wrong. It's a, rather, the Torah says you have to destroy the city. So the purpose of, of killing everyone by the sword is not to give them a punishment. It's rather to destroy the city. So the whole thing is not about a punishment for the people. So it's, it's about the destruction of the city. And destruction of the city includes destruction of the righteous people of the city. Destruction of the city includes the, wife and, the wives and children. But it's not about a punishment. It's about, um, it's about a, new, um, a new mitzvah. There is a punishment the Torah gives for um, uh, the Torah gives for sin of idol, idolatry. But here it's something else. Here it's about the Torah responding and saying that this city has to be wiped out. The city is, is guilty of idolatry. The city should be wiped out. Okay, but there's still a big question over here. What's the reason? Okay, there is a rule in the Talmud that once a, a, a um, person is guilty of capital punishment, although he has repented, he, um, he is not able to be forgiven for his sin. So how come over here they repent and, they're, and they're, they lose their status as a city of, of idolatry? The reason they do is because they are no longer a community. When individuals return to God and regret their ways, so the city stops being classified as a community. So it's not that usually no person's guilty of punishment. If he does show, if he returns from his sins and he repents, the heavenly court can't take away the punishment. But here, what happens is, is that when the individuals do tshuva, the city loses its classification as a city of idolatry. As we learn from the city of Sodom, we asked before, how can we learn from the city of Sodom? We're not learning from the city of Stone what the punishment is for, some, for a city of idolatry. We are learning from the city of Stone a, a, a reality. What is the classification of the city? Is it considered a city or is it considered individuals? How do we determine the definition of the city? We're not learning from before the Torah was given something of a law. We're just learning a reality. It's similar to another concept. The Torah says that Elijah the prophet is not allowed to um, give us um, halacha. He's not allowed to give us uh, we're not allowed to learn from voices from heaven regarding Torah law. However, we can learn from voices from heaven about reality. So let's say uh, milk falls into a chont, and there isn't, we don't know if, there's, if, if there is enough meat to nullify the taste of the milk. If Elijah the prophet tells us there's no taste of milk in the, in the pot, we could trust him. Even though the Torah only prohibits meat that has a taste of milk in it. Although we don't know the taste, therefore we have to measure by 60 times 60 to 1. But um, so in a similar way, the, we learn from the, before the Torah was given a, a law that as long as the uh, people of the city have done teshuva, they no longer have the status as a community. They are now looked at as individuals. Their teshuva is impactful vis-a-vis their classification of a city, as we learn from the city of Stone. The question is still this. It's the one question. Do you have a problem, Dr. Resman? Yes. Okay. Because the thing the story the Talmud about the oven that was considered betrayed. Oh, okay. That's that's about okay. That's about the law. You can't determine a law from heaven. 
can you determine? But you could determine. But you could determine. Now it's halacha. Determining a fact you could from heaven. Is there a taste of milk in this meat? That's a different kind of question. That you could ask Elijah for. Elijah could tell you if there's a taste of milk in this meat. You're not asking him halacha. Halacha is if there's taste, it's not kosher. If there's no taste, it is kosher. Is there a taste or not? That you could ask Elijah. Yeah, but I mean the question of the oven. That would have. Right. That had to do with halacha. What is the status of, of this oven? Is this oven, is this oven impure or pure? So that's where we, we, we heavenly can't. It's, 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 regarding what the reality is, what the facts are, you could go to voices from heaven. Regarding to what the response to those, this, what, what the facts are, that you cannot go to the voices from heaven. So, getting back to over here, one more question. The question is this Why is it, Abraham, that a, a human court, why they dismiss the repentance of the people of the city? People, the city, repent. I'm sorry. In regular case of punishment, why is it that a regu- that a judge cannot forgive the person for his um, for his sin? He is guilty of capital punishment, and the judge is um, unable to uh, forgive him and absolve him from punishment. He's repented. So the Noida Behuda says the reason why the heavenly court has a different status than the earthly court is earthly court is simply because. The earthly court has no purview of the person's heart. They cannot tell what's going on in the person's heart because they can't see what's going inside their heart. Therefore, the, the heavenly court, the, the, sorry, the, the, the rabbi in the court on earth, the, they can't absolve the person of his, of his uh, mistake because they don't know what's in his heart. That's what he says. But according to the way Nadibuda says it, it seems that um, that in our scenario um, uh, the, 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 uh, the same thing should apply because the earthly court cannot know possibly the people are sincere or not they know the facts that they've served of idolatry but they don't know the facts of if they've done shuva or not so how can in the, why do we say by the law of, of a, um, a city of idolatry that when people regret their mistakes and they do teshuva the city loses its classification. If the reason why a human court cannot um, uh, absolve the person is because they don't know what's in the heart, they don't know what's in the heart of the people of the city of idolatry either. So the answer is this. Let's ask a different question first. The question is, if the whole premise of why a human court cannot ad- has to administer punishment even though... The- they, um, the person may have regretted his ways is because they don't know what's in his heart. So then they are giving punishment based on the doubt. We know you cannot give a punishment to a person if there's a doubt, if there's a significant doubt. And here there is. Maybe the person's done shuva, and they probably almost certainly have done shuva. So why would the human court go on with administering punishment without knowing if the person had regretted his sin? What is the meaning of what the Native Buddha is saying? Native Buddha says... The reason why the human court has to give punishment is because they don't know. If they don't know, they shouldn't give punishment. So we have to say that the reason why they do administer punishment is because the Torah's punishment is, is, is not connected to what's going on inside the person's heart. The Torah's punishment is because of the action that was done in this physical world and that was exposed to the eyes of all. And the person's teshuva is on a different plane. His regret is in his heart. And the court is punishing him for his actions. 
when the Neidi Behuda says that the reason we cannot absolve him is because of something that's in the heart, it's not because we don't know it's in his heart, it's because the heart is a different realm. Dvarim Shabalev, it's things which are in the heart, and the fact that we can't know is not the primary um, point. The primary point is the punishment is for the actions that were done. The person does actions that are, are um, in the eyes of all, versus the tshuva is in his heart. The tshuva was on some deeper plane, and the punishment is for the actions that were done physically. So, so, so then we have to ask the question the other way. So then why by the city of, of idolatry, why do we say by this city that the tshuva is effective? How come regarding the city of idolatry we say that what goes on inside their heart is relevant? If the punishment is for, for things that are done in a way that's exposed, especially over here, we're talking about a whole city of idolatry. So why is it that their tshuva is impactful and they are forgiven and they are absolved of, of the classification of a city of idolatry because of their tshuva? Why does that change? So the answer is this. The whole concept of their punishment, again, is because they've become, they've, long, they've lost their classification as individuals who are making a mistake, and they now are classified as a community of sin, as a community of idolatry. This ability to be classified as a community is something that's unique to Jewish people. Only Jewish people have the halachic status as a community. Why is that? The reason is because since all souls are rooted in Hashem Echad, all souls are rooted in the one God, Therefore, essentially, we are one people. And since we are one people, therefore, we are able to um, unite together and to have the legal status as a community because of our divine source. Our divine source is what allows us to have this unique classification. So our unity is so strong that not only are we considered united in our souls in heaven, but we're considered united in this world, and even more, we're considered united even in our property. So that our property is all considered in the status of the city of idolatry, and therefore the city is destroyed. But Dr. Bressman's wondering, one second, what are you talking about? We're not talking about people uniting to serve God, we're talking about people uniting in idol, idol worship. How does this have anything to do with unity? Unity is because we have Jewish souls and oneness. This is, this is unity in a negative sense. The answer is, is that a unique thing that God gave a human being, a Jew, that is similar to God, is that he, a person has free will. And, although, and this is a unique godly power, and it's something which God gave to us as human beings, and we could use it in the wrong way too. And yes, the, the origin of this power is divine, and yes, we're using it in a way that contradicts, it goes totally diametrically opposed to God's wishes, Yet that's the power of a soul and power of a Jew that he's able to, even in this world, to, uh, with, his, with his free choice, to unite in a way that's against the Torah, in a way that classifies him and the people of the city halachically, legally, according to Jewish law in a tangible, real way, as a city of idolatry. Which tells us a lot about the power of our choice to unite with each other in a positive way, to uh, build something together and to make something happen. So, as we say in our prayers every day, bless us, our Father, all is one. By uniting together, that uh, gives us, creates such a, a, a great positive force. I don't know if you heard this, Abramo. It's an amazing thing. If you look in your hand, 
you have 14 joints. Each finger has three joints, your thumb has two. And altogether it's 14. So if you, you give me your hand, what do we have? You have 14 and 14, what do we have? It's 28. 28 is the Hebrew word for power. Jews get together, it's power. So you look, people get, have fatigue. How do you get power? Power is unite with another Jew. You, ask, you help ask another person for help. You offer another person a helping hand. You connect with the love. love. That's, that's, how, that's what makes it happen. L'chaim, l'chaim. Hashem should bless us to have an amazing, wonderful week. Amazing is only when Mashiach comes. We take amazing, take the court of Mamish. L'chaim, l'chaim. Oh, yeah. 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 Y